Welcome to War Room, the official podcast of the U.S. Army War College Online Journal, graciously supported by the Army War College Foundation. Please join the conversation at warroom.armywarcollege.edu. We hope you enjoy the program. You could subscribe to A Better Peace, the War Room podcast, at iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite download service, and never miss the great content we offer. Welcome to A Better Peace, the War Room podcast. I'm Ron Granary, professor of history in the Department of National Security and Strategy at the U.S. Army War College and podcast editor for the War Room. Since 1978, the International Fellows Program at the Army War College has welcomed representatives of allied militaries to participate in the educational life of the college. International Fellows are full participants in seminars and bring a variety of experiences to enrich the conversations. Over the past four decades, over 1,750 International Fellows from more than 120 countries have participated in the program. Of that number, 69 have been elevated to the International Fellows Hall of Fame, an honor for those fellows who have achieved the highest rank in their nation's armed forces or who have held an equivalent rank or responsibility in a multinational organization. Our guest today is the 70th and most recent addition to the Hall of Fame, Major General Torgir Grotrud, Commander of Norwegian Special Forces Command. A native of the municipality of Lurenskog, Norway, he joined the Norwegian Army in 1981, earned his commission in 1986, graduating from the Norwegian Military Academy. Major General Grotrud joined the Norwegian Special Forces in 1990 and has served in a variety of command and staff positions in the Norwegian Defense Forces, NATO, and in coalition operations. From 2005 to 2008, Major General Grotrude commanded Norwegian Special Forces contributions in Afghanistan for multiple tours. In 2009, as a colonel, Major General Grotrude was appointed commander of the Special Forces in the Defense Staff. From 2012 to 2013, he served as a senior Norwegian representative with the U.S. Central Command and the Special Forces Command in Tampa, Florida. Then, he was again commissioned to NATO's Joint Command in Brunsum as head of the Planning and Policy Department. In 2016-2017, he was head of the Planning and Operations Department of the Intelligence Service. Among his many decorations, Major General Grotrude was awarded the St. Olav Medal with Oak Branch for outstanding personal bravery and leadership during combat operations in Afghanistan in 2005 to 2007. He became the first recipient of this medal for actions taken after World War II. Major General Grotrude has completed the Army Staff and Command course at the Norwegian Defense Staff College and is also a graduate from the Joint Command and Staff course at the Norwegian Defense Forces Staff College in Oslo. Most significant for us today, he graduated in 2009 with a master's degree in strategic studies from the United States Army War College. Welcome. Thank you very much. It's delightful to have you here. Welcome back to Carlisle and congratulations on your induction into the Hall of Fame. Uh, I want to start with a a basic question, and that is looking back on your experiences at the Army War College, how did you find life as a War College student? Uh, <laughs> life was really good, really good. in uh, Pennsylvania mm-hmm. and at the War College. And after uh, multiple deployments to Afghanistan, it was really good to have a break and do some reflection. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you uh, do you give any advice to, or what advice would you give to an international fellow coming to Carlisle to be a student at the War College? First of all, um, 
most of the students do have families. Mm -hmm. So I think uh, where they're coming from is probably a pretty busy job. Mm -hmm. So it's some uh, quality time with the family. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a part of it. And also for international students to to learn a bit more about the American culture and uh, how you are running things over here. Right. When you came to Carlisle, you'd already been in Florida, correct? So you'd seen the you'd seen part of the United States. Yeah, I've been to to, to Florida mm -hmm. many times, of mm -hmm. course, because the relationship with USOCOM in specific is is very tight. Right. And sure. very important for us. Right. For sure. Um, as a as a strategic leader, we talk about here at the War College, we're creating strategic leaders, and uh, now you are, you, you have ascended to that level. Um, what strategic leaders do you admire most? I would um, pick out one in specific that I worked with, and that's uh, General Jim Mattis. Mm -hmm. Later, uh, Sec uh, Secretary of Defense as well. A uh, well-known man. Mm -hmm. So I think... Um, what I admire there is his leadership. Mm -hmm. I mean, one day you could um, be a strong leader uh, giving pretty direct and, and uh, risky orders. Mm -hmm. The next day he could serve pizza to the soldiers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I think what he, uh, what he did was he uh, managed all the levels. Mm -hmm. And also um, was very well respected from from the bottom of the organization to his uh, his peers. Mm -hmm. So a role model, I would say, mm -hmm. related so to leadership. That ability to relate to everyone, to gain the respect of of the organization from top to bottom, without sacrificing any of his authority. Yeah. Um, would you say I? I uh, we, we've had your colleague, Major General Christofferson, on to talk about, for Norwegian officers in particular, um, the experience of having been an NCO before you become an officer, before and certainly before you become a general officer. Do you think that Norwegian officers have a particular uh, appreciation for the relationship between officers and men as a result of that experience? I think the system uh, we're having, which is not too different to yours, mm -hmm. um, is then 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 the the point to be concerned about the NCOs, mm -hmm. the soldiers on the ground, and the guys who are really doing the job, is important for an officer, and this is going back to the uh, the officer education as well. Mm -hmm. So um, for me to have been a private corporal sergeant, mm -hmm. and then I. Then I did the uh, the military academy. Uh, that was v very useful experience, I think, mm -hmm. to have been uh, you know on the bottom of the organization yourself. Indeed, yeah. And uh, it, it is uh, it, when you when you see it when you see it at all levels, it does shape the, shape your expectations by the time you get to the top. I imagine. I wanted to ask you about your experiences in special forces, if I may. In your role as a commander of NORSOCOM, Norwegian Special Forces, how how does how does that shape cooperation with U.S. Special Forces? And uh, does Norway have a particular uh, uh, relationship within this global Special Forces network? Yeah. Um. 
there has always been a very tight relationship between U.S. Special Forces and, or SOF, I would say, and uh, the Norwegian uh, SOF forces as well. And that's going back to the Second World War. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, the uh, OSS had a 99 battalion under their command. Uh, that was mainly guys from Minnesota, I mean, Norwegian-Americans, mm-hmm. uh, that knew the area up in Norway. So I think it all started uh, there, and they did some uh, a couple of good operations in an occupied uh, mm-hmm. Norway. And of course, since then, there has been a very, very tight and, and great link, um, especially on the unit level. Mm-hmm. I mean, battalion to, to battalion. Mm-hmm. Uh, but of course, as we grow into a bigger structure, mm-hmm. uh, the uh, operational level and the strat level uh, has also really got a very good uh, cooperation and uh, relationship. Mm-hmm. And so this was both within your work within NATO and, and certainly your experiences in Afghanistan involved that kind of cooperation and, and networking. Yeah, and we also stood up, or uh, I was the projects officer for uh, Bill McRaven mm-hmm. uh, down in Tampa mm-hmm. when he stood up his... Um, international uh, cell within the uh, U.S. OCOM. So that, I was a part of that as well, and that was very interesting. Suddenly, 14 nations were members of uh, U.S. OCOM. Really? Yeah. So, so, th- so it, was a, uh, it was a mini, uh, a, a mini multinational organization there to yeah. uh, work that out. And th- that was a part of this, the Global Soft uh, Network as well, of mm-hmm. course. Mm-hmm. So I think it's uh, important for... Um, for uh, for the U.S. side to have a pretty good insight and situation awareness of what's going on in the different regions in the world, and also to um, synchronize and coordinate different efforts mm-hmm. around. And what about uh, what about regional cooperation for Norway and its neighbors, uh, Nordics and uh, and the, and the Baltic states? Uh, uh, the idea that there's cooperation both with among NATO members, but even with non-NATO members, like say Sweden and Finland, uh, how how does Norway manage its relations um, regionally? You know, um, we're up in the uh, in the Arctic area. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of us that, that you are discussing, mm-hmm. and of course Sweden, the cooperation with Sweden, Finland, even if they're not NATO members, mm-hmm. is very vital. Mm-hmm is as vital as having good partners within the alliance. Mm-hmm. Because we are sharing borders, we are uh, watching the, um, the new normal situation with, uh, with Russia. Speaking, uh, with speaking the, of neighbors. Yeah, <laughs> that's also a neighbor, of course. <laughs> so, um, and we also have the Nordic cooperation. Mm-hmm. This is a, a defense cooperation as well. Mm-hmm. And you also, as part of your varied experiences, you also participated in uh, UN multinational force in uh, peacekeeping force in Lebanon. And I am curious about how how is cooperation within a UN or, uh, operation different? I, I assume it is different from working within NATO or working in NATO operation, of course. But but how is it different? Well, you know, that, that's quite some time ago. Yeah. That was uh, late 80s, beginning of the 90s. Uh, 
So you were but, a, you were a young officer then. I was, but uh, you know, traditionally, mm-hmm. uh, since uh, UN stood up, we have always uh, taken part in uh, in UN operations. Mm-hmm. That started in Kashmir, right? And it uh, went on in uh, Korea, mm-hmm. Gaza. I mean right. Palestine. So um, that was a typical role mm-hmm. uh, within the military to uh, to send an infantry battalion, for example. Mm-hmm. But of course, that also changed uh, in the 90s mm-hmm. when um, the UN mandate was proven to be not strong enough mm-hmm. in Bosnia and Herzegovina. Mm-hmm. So uh, since then, it has been uh, more and more coalition operations mm-hmm. or uh, operations under uh, NATO command. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But Back in the 80s, um, we were a relatively bad-skilled infantry battalion. (laughs) Uh, But the people were good, but uh, the training was not Mm -hmm. that good. Mm -hmm. And the equipment we had was uh, relatively okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I, you know, my, my reference was a normal infantry battalion back home in Norway. Mm-hmm. And when you meet up with um, different nations, uh, battalions from Nepal, from Fiji, from uh, Ghana, uh, the interoperability is just not there. That's as the you, word, as the you word can I was imagine. thinking of, right? Even, even to the point you, you couldn't even share ammunition for your sidearms. No, because they had the AK forty sevens, and we we have the AG three at that time, mm-hmm. so that was not easy. Uh-huh. However, um, it worked out pretty well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it remember again, it was a peacekeeping operation. Right, right, and that the difference <coughs> between peacekeeping and war fighting is can be vast, and somewhere in between, I've, I've we've had several guests here talk about peacekeeping operation peacekeeping operations, and they say there's there's peacekeeping, there's peace making yeah. and then there's war fighting and uh it's it's hard to be able to do all three well that's th- that's also pretty obvious because uh, you go with your uh, mission and you train with your mission and you do the rehearsal before you are deploying so right. you need to tailor uh, your force to uh, to the task right right if you if you show up and it's not ready it's it's not that easy to change oh. We've, we've touched on this a little bit, but I do want to ask, right, and n- knowing what you now know as a senior leader, is there one thing that if you could talk to that, that young officer uh, in, say, say, around 1990 um, to give him advice on what he should or shouldn't do in his career? Obviously, you did everything absolutely right because you, you are sitting where you're sitting. Well, you don't have to answer that second part if you don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, that's up to others to discuss, of course, but... Uh, you know, what I think is important is to do your current job mm-hmm. as good as you can. Mm-hmm. Don't be too focused on the next steps mm-hmm. because then you are not focused on your current job. So that's my advice to, uh, to younger officers. To younger officers. Or NCOs. As well. Well, and, and I, I am curious that one of the complaints that, uh, or one of the frustrations I know that a lot of young officers, a lot of officers in general will, will express is they only have a short period of time in any one job before they're transferred to their next one. And that's, and that's if they're successful and they're being moved, moved up is, uh, do you think that, do you think that, uh, uh, armies in general, 
should uh, encourage officers to focus on their current job by uh, by taking some of the by the way that they manage uh, the amount of time that people are in, the amount of time that they give people before they get moved on to something else. Is that a, is that the kind of thing that a that a general officer should think about to to help junior junior officers focus on their the job at hand? Yeah, I think so. I, I think you have a good point there. And um, what is important is that uh, be happy w- with what what you are doing currently. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, in that job you want to achieve something, right? And if you have one year only, mm-hmm. you feel that this is a rush. Mm-hmm. If you have three years. Because the first year, you do the situational understanding. Mm-hmm. Right. Next year, you are deciding what to decide. And last year, you are taking some calls. Mm-hmm. If you don't have enough time there, you, you may take the wrong calls. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, in the Norwegian system, and my, my sub-commanders... The normal time is is also from two to three years. Okay. However, I always want them to stay for three years mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because then you don't have a, a rush, and then you are you are doing better decisions. I think that's and, and that, that if if you send that message that people know when they when they come and they join your staff, they know that they should they sh- they can plan on assuming they're doing their job well enough to keep it. Right yeah, there. and some other guys they have a, they have a, well they think they have a lot of, or sorry they 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 think they have a little time you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then I'm telling, take it easy. Mm-hmm. You have a lot of time, and if needed, I'll extend you for another year, because you need to have this experience on this level mm-hmm. before you are moving up to the next level. Right. What's your typical day like? Uh, you've been you've been commander of special forces for almost for two years. Yeah, and um, uh, I'm you know, assuming that you that there is anything like a typical day for a commander of special forces. What's a typical day like? Um, a typical day is <laughs> your calendar is full. Uh huh. You wake up the, in the morning and you're handed the, a full. The, calendar. There is no uh, white space. <laughs> And uh, you think you are going to different meetings. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, somebody is changing your schedule. And then you will uh, Rolex some of the meetings to the next day. Uh-huh. So to fill that, to fill that already <laughs> full calendar. And it's a lot of traveling, of course. Mm-hmm. Of course. Um, over to, to here, to different nations in, in Europe. Mm-hmm. Uh, two areas where I have people deployed. So... Um, I think what I'm wrestling with is is uh, having enough time at the office. Because mm-hmm. the office work doesn't go away when you're not there. It's, no. just, it's just waiting for you when you come back. The inbox is growing uh-huh. when you're away. Do you, uh, uh, is there a moment uh, in, a, in an officer's career where you think you know, there is that the, the sweet spot between the responsibilities placed upon you and the, the time that you have to actually accomplish those responsibilities. Was there, is there a moment you look back on and you say, you know, that job, I really felt like uh, it, the balance was right? Or is, it, does, or, is, or is it simply a matter of an ambitious officer is always going to, to feel like there is so much more to do than he, has, he or she has time to do? I think what, what we are 
lacking. Mm-hmm. And that's also going all the way in down in, in my organization down to, to the bottom. Mm-hmm. It's enough time. It's enough time. That's the, the challenge. Mm-hmm. And I guess, well, as I see it, in the special forces, mm-hmm. you want to um, to be really good in what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you need to fi- find the middle ground. Mm-hmm. And to find the middle ground, that's tricky. Yeah, because you never want to tell anybody, you know, this isn't important, you don't have to do it, right? You want to do everything well. True, and um, that's coming back to priorities. Mm-hmm. You need to set priorities. Mm-hmm. And you should try to follow them. <laughs> <laughs> and and so, so your job at the top, right, is to set the priorities further down, but then each individual, I think, if we think of this in terms of mission command, right, every individual officer has to figure out how they can best fulfill the responsibilities placed on them and the priorities set by the, yeah. by the boss. And sometimes you just need to sit down and reflect and tell yourself, I mean, okay, I'm not done with this. Mm-hmm. But so what? The world will be okay tomorrow as well. See, it's an interesting choice. Do you try to, uh, assuming we're not talking about a crisis, but in a typical day in headquarters, do you try to enforce uh, uh, quitting time for officers to, inc- to encourage work-life balance for them to go home to their families? Yeah. Yeah. Especially uh, when, I mean, not every day is a crisis. Right. Right. So um, it's important to take care of the families, of course, mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. take care of your friends, mm-hmm. uh, to one day walk out of the office at three o'clock, mm-hmm. not nine. Not nine. <laughs> so um, sometimes I even order people out of the office. Uh-huh. Then they're telling, I mean, boss, you're still there. Yeah, yeah. Forget that. But now I'm speaking about you. Go home. So that's that's leadership, right? To tell people what they yeah, do. leadership is in my head uh, everything. Mm-hmm. What uh, uh, in your experiences with you know, the army colonels uh, and their equivalents? So since your experience at the War College, what do you think separates the best colonels that you've met from the others? I think um, that also depends on what kind of position they are. Are in okay. Uh, typical uh, command jobs. Then the answer is pretty easy. Mm-hmm. Then you have those that are taking really good care of uh, their soldiers mm-hmm. and operators, mm-hmm. and those that are more concerned about their own career. Mm-hmm. Which the first. Uh, part is of course the right answer right so um, and then you need to give them advice mm-hmm. um, and some are um, born with uh, good leadership uh, genes and some are not but you can also train this of course mm-hmm. to a certain point right what's the uh, what's the hardest thing about being a general it's a lot of fun things of course yeah but the hardest thing... Having to sit for podcast interviews, I'm sure, is, 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 is right up there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the hardest thing is that you, you're having more tasks than you're able to fulfill, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The time 
dilemma. Mm -hmm. And um, also the opportunity to go out and, out and, uh, and see the trips. Mm -hmm. Because you're, you're dragged in all kinds of directions. Right. One day it's, um, you're a part of the, the leadership uh, meeting with the, the chief of defense. The next day you're at the shooting range speaking to the new operators, mm -hmm. which is also a fun thing, of course. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But personally, I should, I should want to have more time with the latter. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And yet, this that that big fat schedule that they hand you. There's an awful lot of meetings that are far from from meeting with the troops, because that's that's just the matter. That's just the nature of the job. That that's correct. I mean, when uh, and of course, then you need to need to do the priorities as well. Mm -hmm. I we we just work with the with the white paper for the next eight years. Mm -hmm. That's important stuff, and that's the future of the whole organization. So. You better be ready to, <laughs> and you better take part in those meetings. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and how would you, uh, at 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 your level, uh, you're of course m most of your meetings are with fellow uniformed officers, but you also have to interact with and you interact with the civilian uh, leadership. And um, how often how often do you, as special forces commander, meet with say the minister of Ministry of Defense or with other uh, civilian leaders within Norway? Regularly, I would say. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's also going um, with our uh, location. We're, we're located in Oslo, mm -hmm. the capital, mm -hmm. as a strategic force. We're uh, we have a short way to to speak to the minister, mm -hmm. if needed, through the chief of defense, of course, mm -hmm. um, and also with the with the other agencies, like the police. Intel service, custom, homeland security. Mm -hmm. So that's uh, that's very often. Mm -hmm. We're we're almost out of time. I want to ask you uh, uh, one one last kind of big question, and that is, how do you envision uh, Norway's role within within NATO? Does Norway consider itself a uh, a a leading state within NATO? Does Norway uh, does Norway consider itself obviously consider itself a good partner because it is a good partner? But how does a, a state the size and shape and heft of Norway uh, conceive of its place within the alliance? You know, our strategic uh, location mm -hmm. up in the the Arctic and also above the Arctic Circle indeed tells something about the focus, right? Mm -hmm. And we have a new situation, a new normal situation with Russia. Mm -hmm. And um, I think it's very important for us to be NATO North mm -hmm. in Europe. Mm -hmm. That implies you need to monitor pretty closely what's going on mm -hmm. uh, in the Barents Sea and up, up to the Arctic. Mm -hmm. And to also share the uh, information that you are uh, you are uh, finding out mm -hmm. uh, and um, we also we're living up there so we know the situation right so um, I think we have a leading role related to our location and also to winter warfare for example mm -hmm. for sure I mean you have heard the, uh, the story that Norwegian are born with skis on <laughs> 
I was going to ask because your your hometown is further to the south, so you're not from. But but south is a relative term in Norway. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's still snow there. It's still, it's still snow <laughs> there. <laughs> so no, I mean, so um, we have some expertise there, mm-hmm. and. Even with uh, all the technology, etc., it's important to um, to be able to survive out in in the field. Right. So uh, what we see is also a lot of interest uh, from the U.S., U- United States, and and other allies related to um, to winter warfare. So I think that's important. Indeed, you know, as a as a student at the War College, you went on the staff ride to Gettysburg, I am sure. And the Union Army, of course, the far left of the Union Army was uh, was anchored by Joshua Chamberlain and the Twentieth Maine at Little Round Top, uh, viewed from a particular perspective. Right, NATO uh, Norway protects NATO's is uh, far left flank there up uh, at the at the northern flank. So it is a it's a vital position to be in, mm. and it's a an important role for Norway to play. And uh, I have to say, so on behalf of us, of all of us here at the uh, at the War College, uh, we're delighted, uh, General Grotrud, that uh, that you are a representative of uh, of NATO's uh, important northern flank. Thank you for everything that you do for your country and for the West. And thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much. And thank you to everyone out there for listening to this broadcast of A Better Peace. Please send us your comments and thoughts. And uh, we look forward to having you listen in to us again in the future. So until next time, for The War Room, I'm Ron Granary. Thanks for joining us. And that concludes our program. Thank you for listening. The views expressed in this podcast reflect those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views, policies, or positions of the U.S. Army or the Department of Defense. Let us know what you think. Provide us your feedback, comments, or suggestions through our webpage at warroom.armywarcollege.edu. And have a great day.